you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ, Bucky, Rhett together here as we inch ever closer towards the postseason, guys. We have have so much to get to today that I'm looking forward to, including at the end of the show, we're going to take a peek at what we saw in the college football semifinal games uh, and break that down. But look, we got to start here. Uh, with three three games that impacted, go ahead, Rhett. What are you going to jump? Hold You're the phone here. Even start the show. Hold yet. the phone here. You, you can't doing? just you can't just start this show and gloss over the fact that you uh, and Money and MJD had a battle royale for the home radio booth inside SoFi Stadium. I need to did. know who won that battle. <laughs> I don't care what happened in the games. I have no inch. I do not care what happened in that game. What I want to know is who won that battle. And how was it won? Like, that's what this show needs to be about. So if you've seen the uh, the image online of Jamal Adams swiping his key card and trying to get into the Jets facility and the door not opening, <laughs> that right. was MJD. That was MJD at the home radio booth. Um, that password is no longer accepted. He was a visitor. Uh, wow. He was a visitor for the day. Okay. Uh, and kind of how was the it- game went as well. Kind of how the game yeah. went as well. <laughs> it, apparently, SoFi Stadium belongs to the LA Chargers. Was he cordial about it or was it, did it get a little, did it, were there some tense moments? They have unbelievable uh, theater candy. And Bucky knows, uh, we, we, we were up yeah. there together earlier yes. this year when Jackson yeah, yeah. came to town. That box theater candy. And I want to say, I don't know if it was M&M's MJ he had early in the day, but he had some good, uh, some theater candy. He was in a great mood. Didn't okay, let the Rams, helps. you know, season kind of getting away from him uh, impact <laughs> okay. that at all. So he was in good. All right. All can right. I get back? Can I get back to the games now? I can get back. I just wanted to make sure everybody ended up okay in that scenario. Okay. But thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're good. I did post a picture in case you missed it. All right, big three here. Again, these teams coming into the week had a shot at the number one seed in the NFC. These games were very impactful and some interesting takeaways here, starting with Saints-Eagles. Uh, Buck, this is an Eagles team that hasn't clinched anything, including the division at this point in time. And they're in the postseason. But they have a shot to be the number one seed. All they got to do is win one of these last couple games. But they're doing it without Jalen Hurts. And it looks like the more we see of Minshew, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave that take up to you. What did, what did you see? You're right. The more we see of Minshew, the real Minshew eventually shows up. And that is what's happened with the Philadelphia Eagles. Garner Minshew is showing up. Garner Minshew is what we call a super sub. He is nice in small doses, but the more he plays, the harder it gets for the offense to continue to generate these big plays. Because what we have is a guy who has – adequate arm talent, but he doesn't have the playmaking ability of a starter. And so without the ability to stretch the field and without the athleticism to run like Jalen Hurts, this offense sputtered and stalled. Look, they got shut off for the first half. They couldn't really move the ball. And outside of a big play to A.J. Brown, this Eagles offense looked nothing like the offense that has dominated the league for the better part of the season. If anything, what we learned is Garner Minshew is a backup quarterback and this team really needs Jalen Hurts to come back to really continue to have any of those Super Bowl aspirations that were beginning to feel and bubble up in the city of brotherly love. 
Yeah, does Jalen Hurts make a difference in this game? Probably so, but I thought maybe the biggest difference maker overall was the return of Marshawn Lattimore to the Saints defense. Guy missed 10 games, comes back in, and has to deal with arguably you know the best wide receiver duo in the league in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and holds up more than adequately. Obviously has the pick six here uh, that you're seeing, but I thought he was fantastic in coverage. In fact, one of my favorite plays that he had was actually one of the four catches that he allowed in this game was a third down play it was like a a stop go comeback from Devonte smith which as any db will tell you is one of the most difficult things to cover if you got to deal with it in man to man and the way that marshawn Lattimore can change speed accelerate and then throttle down to come back and sit on that comeback it was just a it was one of the really really good throws by gardner Minshew in that game and the only reason it was completed but Lattimore was on top whether it was Devonte smith or aj brown he let a couple of catches go by versus aj when aj was just a little bit too physical with him, but for a dude that hadn't played in more than two months to come in and show that he was the most dominant defender in the secondary for either team, thought that was pretty special. And it, it kind of leads you to think about what might have been for the New Orleans Saints this year. One of a, a number of massively impactful injuries uh, that were substantial enough to be gone for you know more than two months. You think about Michael Thomas again missing the majority of this season. Marshawn Lattimore again. The injuries along the offensive line for the Saints. Um, you know, and you, you throw all that together, if they could be a bit more healthier, yeah, maybe they're, maybe we're talking about them as a realistic playoff team, but they still got no solution at quarterback, which is obviously something that they got to get to here, um, this off season. Yeah, no doubt. I think those are the two big things. You just touched on the quarterback future of the saints. What does that look like? The quarterback present right now is Bucky was hitting with Jalen Hurts needing to get back for this Eagles team, the two big takeaways, but one thing I don't want to get lost in this Eagles season I was looking up some of these numbers. Have you seen what their pass rush has done this year? They, Pretty they've good. got four guys mm -hmm. right now with 11 or more sacks. Like, that is ridiculous. They've got a chance to break the all-time record. I know people, you know, look and say, oh, it's 17 games versus 16 games. Okay, they're five shy of breaking that 84 Bears team record. But, guys, this is the most sacks we've seen in the season since 1989. As we sit right now, having played 16 games um, this this pass rush has been big time. 68 sacks on the year, 16 more than the next closest team, uh, which I believe is the New England Patriots. So uh, this uh, this pass rush is ready to go. They need to get Jalen Hurts back. But if they can, and we talk about this formula all the time on our show here, guys, great quarterback play and a big time pass rush. If you get Hurts back and he can play at the level he's played at, the pass rush is ready to go. I mean, six six sacks in a row, I games. Uh, uh, six sacks and five plus games in a row here. It's ridiculous what they're doing. So it, it's a good group up front. And, and with, with Jeremiah Washburn, Tracy uh, Rocker there, done a nice mm -hmm. job coaching that group up uh, as well. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one here. Niners Raiders. This is the Niners team really playing a home game on the road in Vegas. Uh, it was packed with, uh, with red there, uh, 49er fans. Is the Niners still have a shot here at this number one overall seed? Uh, Buck, there was a uh, there was a player in this game I thought stood out above all the rest, and uh, his name was Christian McCaffrey. Absolutely. CMC is the X factor for the 49ers. And when the Niners made this trade at the trade deadline, we wondered how would they use him, how would he be featured. And what Kyle Shanahan did was he kind of sprinkled him in, didn't really – overuse him, but now we're beginning to see Christian McCaffrey in the role that he will play. Talk about 193 scrimmage yards, a rushing TD. He has the ability to create so many mismatches 
for this offense that it's going to be scary to watch when they get Debo Samuel back into the fold, when they use George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk emerging as a thousand yard receiver. This is a team that is crazy talented. And because of that, look, they are a scary team to face. And because the Philadelphia Eagles have left the door open for them to maybe get the number one seed. I'm beginning to think about penciling in the San Francisco 49ers for another Super Bowl appearance because offensively they have everything that you can hope for uh, at their, their, their perimeter skill players. Well, you look on the other side in this game, a lot of eyes were on Jared Stidham. People saying, what's this going to look like? Did they just punt on the season? Derek Carr goes to the bench, and Jared Stidham goes out there and lights it up in terms of getting big plays down the field, 365 yards. You see the numbers there, the three touchdowns, the two picks. But you're watching this game, and when you evaluate him specifically – I'm watching this going, okay, he's getting the ball vertical. The play-action game, he's very comfortable and confident in. Everything was kind of looking easy coming off of his hand. And you look at the weapons they have. They haven't had them all together all year long with the injuries that they've had. But when you have Waller making plays down the seam, Devontae Adams making special catches, you have Renfro back in the mix, there's a lot to work with. Josh Jacobs behind you. And you saw this offense put up over 30 points it's kind of what we envisioned at the beginning of the season. It didn't all happen. It didn't happen with Derek Carr. But Jared Stidham, that's a good performance from him. I go back and look, Rhett, at his uh, his college report. I go up and look at some of my nuggets. I mean, he was in the gun there in college at Auburn. He was a great athlete. He could really drive the football. Um, he missed some layups. That was a knock on him, missing too many easy throws. But I noted on here he's under constant pressure. And I think even from a scouting standpoint, there's something to take away from these college players at that position that have faced in kind of a hostile pocket, in a dirty pocket, and had to try and make it work. That's a, that's a key trait you've got to have at the NFL level. So many of these guys coming into the league have played on premier programs with better players and who they're playing against. Jared Stidham got the snot knocked out of him there at Auburn in his, his last year, and I thought you saw him yesterday. Hang in there. Hang in there tough against some, some pressure he was under. Uh, some pressure? Talking about the best defense in football right here in the San Francisco yeah. 49 all, all, all game long. Put up 30-plus. Um, so, and look, I think you also got a hat tip to the uh, Raiders offensive line who did not allow a sack in this game. And I think a lot of that comes on Stidham too, getting the ball out of his hands. He took seven hits in this game, but got the ball out of his hands a couple of times. Yeah. Moved him around. It was, I think, and look, was there a game in the NFL this week that better described the importance of fit with quarterback in scheme and play caller? I mean, you're talking about Jarrett Stidham for the Raiders, who obviously has the familiarity with Josh McDaniels from their time together uh, with uh, New England. And then you're talking about Brock Purdy, who just seems to be like just the perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan and what he wants to do offensively. Uh, So like and, and then and so for both of those guys, let's go back to Stidham here real quick. I mean, you remember his junior year in Auburn, like after that season, we're talking about him as maybe like the leader of the pack going into uh, when, when he decides to come back. We're like, man, this might this dude might end up being the best quarterback in college football this year. And then remember he had like that back injury. That was a little weird. I remember wanting to see him throw it around down at the Manning Passing Academy ahead of his senior year. And uh, he just uh, he did he wasn't able to do it. And so, you know, I think, you know, that maybe plays a, a part into, you know, not having the, the senior year that matched up to the junior year year that you were all expecting ends up, you know, a day two pick or day three pick for the New England Patriots. Um, And then for Brock Purdy, you know, I I think we're all like, all right, you know, he's managing this game nicely for Kyle Shanahan. You know, he's handing the ball off to Christian McCaffrey. You know, they're not asking him to do too much. Right. He's like the joystick. Right, Bucky, Mm -hmm. that you like to talk about with Kyle Shanahan. But this was a game where they needed him. 
right? They were down in this game. He leads the comeback. He plays well um, when the lights are the brightest, when the red light is shining and they're in an overtime situation and Purdy doesn't flinch. So I think there's a lot to be excited about uh, as this team moves towards the postseason because it felt like maybe people were waiting for the other shoe to drop on Purdy, as you guys were talking about, like with Minshew, like, all right, he's a backup. Eventually he's going to, you know, he's going to fold. He's going to show his true colors. But right now I feel pretty good if I'm a 49ers fan watching the way that Brock Purdy answered the bell against this Raiders team and engineered another victory for this 49ers team. Yeah, the 49ers are humming, really uh, uh, making things happen. You figure, gosh, the defense is going to be able to carry this team. Well, defense didn't have it in this game, and the offense yeah. uh, was able to overcome it. All right, another team coming into this shot at the number one overall seed does not have a shot anymore and that is the minnesota vikings who got absolutely blasted by the green bay packers and aaron Rodgers. but to me when when you watch this game you go back and dig into the tape what the packers are able to do on the ground is what stood out to me and we can pull up the numbers on aaron jones look how productive he was i think he had three explosive runs when you dig into it and watch it i think the unsung hero for the packers guys is mercedes lewis He's 94 years old, unofficially, <laughs> uh, the tight end, who functions as an extra tackle. When you look at their big run plays, their explosive run plays, a lot of times it's Mercedes Lewis who is clearing the way and showing once again that, man, if you can block as a tight end in this league, Buck, uh, those guys are hard to find and they are weapons in their own way. They certainly are weapons in their own way. And let me say this as a former Packer, I'm really excited to see the Packers running the football because, DJ, we've talked about it time and time again. The Packers need to run the football because that's their best method for success in the postseason, particularly when they have to play at home. And so they're a more dangerous team when they can run the ball. But they're also dangerous when they're playing good defense. And what we saw yesterday, Yari Alexander might be that guy at corner. He is really one of a handful of shutdown corners that we've seen in the league. And I know we loosely throw that term around when we're talking about prospects. But Yari Alexander backed up his big talk with outstanding performance against Justin Jefferson. 31 routes against uh, the Minnesota the Minnesota Vikings had Justin Jefferson on the outside against the Packers. Yari Alexander lined up opposite Justin Jefferson on 20 of those, using a variety of tactics, uh, bump and run, off, quick jams. Look, he had one catch, 15 yards, considering that my man almost put up 200 on them the first time they played. Yari Alexander said it was a fluke, and then he backed it up by showcasing dynamic skills on the perimeter. If the Packers get this kind of performance on the outside while being able to get the pass rush, mix in some zone, this is a team that can play the kind of complimentary football that can be problematic. And oh, by the way, you still have a quarterback who can pull off a vintage performance every now and then. Packers might be a little scary if they're able to make it into the postseason. And I look, I love Jair Alexander as much as the next guy. He had a little bit of help, right? Over the top yeah, with man. Justin Jefferson. Little, 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 bit. little bit. A little man. bit. Yeah. Um, you know, look, nothing wrong with getting a little help from your friends every now and then, right? Um, all right. So look for the Vikings. Again, this is one of those teams where we're like, all right, every game they play seems to be close and they're winning the close games, and you should credit them for that. But for a team that's won 12 games, they sure to get blown out a lot. Right. I mean, like go back to week two, you know, it's it, they get beat 24 to seven of the Eagles. That's not a you know full on blowout, but it's not a great performance. They lose 40 to three to the Dallas Cowboys. They they were losing 33 to nothing or whatever it was to the Indianapolis Colts in the first half. They end up making that ridiculous comeback. Now they're down, what, 40 to three at one, but 41 to 17 ends up being the final score this week. Like, how do you win 12 games, play this many close games and win them and then just lay absolute eggs in some of these? 
I, I, I don't know how you can go into the postseason feeling good about a team like this that just has that Jekyll and Hyde capability like so dramatically. This to me feels like a team that's one and done in the postseason. And, and it's it's obviously going to depend on matchup. But, I, you know, if I'm going in there as a wild card team to U.S. Bank Stadium, I'm not going in there super anxious. Like I'm going in there confident that we can find a way to beat these dudes. Hold on, DJ. I don't. I, don't, I, I think you. I, I don't ahead. know. Rhett must ahead. not be an MMA fan. You must not be a UFC fan because the Minnesota Vikings are like a UFC champion. Like you either smoke people or you get smoked, but it still doesn't change anything. Like that's what they do. They either knock you out and submit you, or they get knocked out. They are a UFC team. That's what the Minnesota Vikings are. So I wouldn't worry about them. They're going to either get knocked out or they're going to submit somebody. Yeah, I, I, I. That's a great call, Buck. But I. <laughs> with red on the fact of who's is anybody really nervous or scared to go in there and and you know the blueprint's kind of out there what whether or not you got to put one guy two guys three guys on justin jefferson whatever you got to do to take him away and then let the rest of this team see what they've got and see if Kirk cousins can make it work and win football games without just off and we know once you get to the postseason teams are going to try and take that first option away Whatever you got to do, that's what you got to do. That's the blueprint against this football team. And, man, the Green Bay Packers did it. And, uh, by the way, as we kind of move on here, and we'll hit a break here in just a second, one quick thought from both of you. Bucky, starting with you. Uh, Aaron Rodgers getting a little bit chippy. Uh, this team stunk. It's not like we were blasting them, you know, when they were, you know, 8-1 and, and we weren't giving them their due. Like, they, they were terrible. He's like, oh, nobody's talking now. Yeah, because you're 500. Congratulations, guys. You well, got the 500. Okay? Well, the other, That's, the, the you other get criticism because you guys are playing terrible. That's why. Okay, now this is going to make Nabil mad. But who have they really oh. beaten, though? Like, who have they really knocked off? Like, what heavyweight <laughs> team have they knocked off on the way to the postseason? Like, it's great. They'll get in. It'd be great for TV because you get to see Aaron Rodgers. But who are they really knocking off on this streak? And so they may get in. They may backdoor, and he'll talk a little bit. But at some point, he's going to have to play and perform at a high level. Right now, everybody else is kind of carrying him on this journey. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm looking at the opponents now. They beat the bears, beat the Rams, beat the dolphins. And then, I mean, you can make, you make the argument. This win against the Vikings was their most substantial uh, of this four game win streak. Uh, but the previous couple of games, you know, they lost to the Titans. They lost to the Eagles played a little bit. They played the Eagles close in that game. Um, it beaten the cow. I don't know. Like I would, I would feel more confident in the green Bay Packers than I am in the Minnesota Vikings at this point. I don't know if that tells you much, but like if if we're looking at this game, looking at <laughs> yeah, they just beat them forty-one to seventeen. Way to go out on the limb there. Way to really put yourself well, out there. You're talking about a twelve and four football team at the Minnesota Vikings, okay? I mean, like that's um, it's you know they don't get there by a fluke either, but still, I um, I, the way that they're playing, they're peaking at the right time. I think we could all agree on that. All right, uh, I love this by the way. Nabil, as everybody knows, our producer is a huge Packer fan. You, you get quiet as a church mouse. And then we oh, start yeah. talking about the Packers, you oh, know, yeah. and how, how underwhelming they are. We, you, I can't get more go-to-breaks in go to my break. year than go to I've break. got in the last – Go to break. Uh, we can wrap. 30, hey, go, go to, go to break. break. Stop. Stop. <laughs> no more talking. Go to break. Wrap it. Go. Yes. We got to get out. Um, all right. We're going to take a break just for Nabil. We'll be back. We're going to hit on the Bucks and the Panthers as well as that Sunday nighter. Uh, not the prettiest affair between the Steelers and the Ravens. We'll get to that right after this break. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. 
Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. NFL Plus is here, which means no matter where you are, this is how you football. You can stream live, local, and primetime games on your phone or tablet. 45-minute game replays with NFL Plus Premium and more. This is the NFL for every fan. This is football freedom. This is your game on the go. Go to plus.nfl.com and sign up now. Well, we have a champion uh, in a uh, pretty bad division in the NFC South, and that champion is uh, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They get it done 40-34. to 34. Comeback win uh, for them over the Carolina Panthers, led by Sam Darnold. Buck, this is a uh, this is a Panthers team. Man, early on in this game, I'm thinking the Panthers are rolling. They're getting ready to, to keep this train moving here. And then, man, the, it, fell, it fell apart quick. It, it did fall apart quickly, and it's, it's sad because when you think about the Carolina Panthers and what they were able to do, uh, they, they repaired Sam Donald. Sam Donald was playing some of the best football that we've seen of his brief career in terms of the way that they were managing, the way they were doing things, they were running the football. But ultimately, the Panthers were undone by their <laughs> secondary. And the number one rule of the secondary is don't allow the ball to fly over top of the defense. And yet, in the fourth quarter, nursing a double-digit lead, they let the ball fly over the top of the defense. And not only did they commit the Cardinal sin of letting it fly over the top of the defense. They let the Buccaneers' best wide receiver get behind him. Mike Evans running go routes, deep balls. This looked like a flag football game where you just like, hey, man, just run as far as you can go. I'm going to throw it as far as I can and get home. And that is exactly what undid a Carolina Panthers team that really outplayed the Buccaneers for the better part of the day. It's unfortunate, but hats off to the Buccaneers for finding the weak link and going back to that weak link over and over again. The deep ball showed up, and it showed up in a big way. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the Carolina Panthers desperately missed J.C. Horn in this game. Um, You know, I think C.J. Henderson had had enough of Mike Evans, uh, certainly. (laughs) And, 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 like, it it kind of bothered me. It was a little – it was less competitive than I would have liked to have seen from uh, from a guy in C.J. Henderson, you know, that played some good college football, was a high draft pick of your Jacksonville Jaguars, then got traded to Carolina. Like, it just – didn't have that compete that you'd like to see in a moment like this and a game like this and a matchup like that with so much on the line, you know, for the Panthers fighting for a possible shot at the division in week 18 uh, just didn't match up. But what did match up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the stars coming out. And the reason we kept waiting and waiting and saying, maybe this is the game for the Bucs every time they'd win it. Maybe this is the game that kicks off the stretch in which they're going to start putting things together. It's because they have really dang good players. Don Brady's the best that's ever done it. Mike Evans is one of the best wide receivers in the game and has been his whole career. And they showed you why on that day. 34-45 for Tom Brady, 432 yards. He completes a touchdown pass to Mike Evans for 63 yards in this game, which was his longest, right, since 2018. Longest as a Buccaneer. And so all that vertical stuff, all that under 10-yard stuff that they've been living on for much of this season, it was like, you know what? We're honoring Bruce Arians. We're putting his name up in the ring of honor. We better no risk it, no biscuit in this game with a chance to win the NFC South division title. And it really showed up and Mike Evans going for over 200, man, that was a vintage performance when they needed it the most. And Oh, by the way, uh, Chris got, I'm so fired up. My headphones are falling out. Chris Godwin <laughs> goes for over a hundred in this game too. comes up with a big two point conversion at the end. Like this was, um, this was what we expected the Bucks to be when Tom Brady came back and Godwin was fully healthy and Evans, you know, was still the same guy. And, and so, that was encouraging. And if I'm the Bucs, I'm like, all right, kind of starting to feel this, this version of our offense here as we move towards the postseason now. 
All right, I don't want to uh, cold water on the on the uh, on the fire here that Rhett's uh, lit. Oh come on! The uh, come on! Let's go back. Let's come go on. back. What do you say Thanksgiving? Let's go back since Thanksgiving. They lost to a Cleveland Browns team that stinks. They beat the New Orleans Saints, who are averages a day as long by one point, 17 to 16. They lost to a playoff team, the 49ers, 35 to seven. Doors blown off. Played a playoff team in Cincinnati, 34 to 23. Blasted. They beat in overtime an Arizona Cardinals team that is is terrible, beat them in overtime by three, and they just beat a six-win Carolina Panthers team. Had to come back and beat them by six points. They are going to be the four seed. They are going to see the Cowboys or the Eagles, two teams that can really rush the quarterback, and they're going to be one and done. Um, I'm glad that, that they've got it going a little bit here. They've got a little mojo as they go to the postseason, but their offensive line, I still I, – I, they're not going to be able to hold up to get those deep shots to Mike Evans against those two fronts. So I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, Buck, um, but uh, I, I don't see that. I, I, I know what you are now. You are squarely on the radar of Tom Brady's social media team. <laughs> and so if they win a game or two, we this will see this back. played back as one of the hype videos yeah. as Tom Brady's getting ready to go into the divisional playoffs. And so welcome. Welcome to Tom hey. Brady's social media fans. Hey, I'll, I'll tell you right now, Tom Brady wants to blast out, move the sticks on all of his social channels. You know, hey, there's no such thing as bad publicity. We'll, we'll, we'll take it here. Um, all right, let's get to the Steelers and the Ravens. Uh, Rhett, this was a game that wasn't pretty, uh, but at the end, man, Mike Tomlin – Death taxes and Mike Tomlin not being under 500 guarantees in life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how cool is that? Right. I mean, they, this team has been on a run and you want to talk about uh, where they've been the last couple of games just to run through it here real quick in this, after they get this win over the Ravens, you know, beat the Raiders 13, 10, beat the Panthers 24, 16, beat the Falcons, beat the Colts. Not the most, Right. If you want to talk about, you know, teams to inspire in terms of opponents, well, that's not the most daunting task around. But they did get past a division rival in the Baltimore Ravens here uh, as the Ravens are fighting to stay in the hunt for that division in the AFC North and now losing some serious ground. So I, I think there's some signs of progress here. And we'll start with the quarterback, Kenny Pickett, um, who you guys know I was a big fan of coming out. Uh, of Pitt, uh, just to, I mean, this is a dude that thrives on these type of environments. Oh, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season, and we're we're threatening uh, that to happen right now. Let me do what I can to get this team uh, back into the winning on the winning side here, and fill up some dubs in the win column, uh, and all the while keeping our playoff hopes alive. By the way, not done yet. And you know what? If you're going to need me, if we're going to be down in the fourth quarter, I'm going to put this team on my shoulders, and for the second straight week, engineer a fourth quarter comeback, third of the season, fourth game winning drive over. All. I'll just go five of six for 64 improv on the final touchdown to Najee Harris, who, by the way, is the first 100 yard rushing game of the day. And what I'm going to do, maybe we don't make the playoffs. Maybe if we do, you know, it's not an extended stay. But what I'm doing right now is building blocks for the future and talk about quarterback and Kenny Pickett running back in Najee Harris. You got to terrifically talented wide receiver core uh, with George Pickens as a rookie this year. I'm not calling them I'm not calling the triplets. I'm just saying that they have building blocks for the future there. Now they got to build some blocks in front of Kenny Pickett. And I think this team is going to be a real fun one to come for the next few years. Yeah, they are a fun one to come. And going all the way back to having an opportunity to see Kenny Pickett in the preseason when he played against the Jaguars and went right down the field when there was a bit of a quarterback battle. The one thing that you can talk about Kenny Pickett is the poise. Poise under pressure he has that in spades. It showed up the last two weeks back-to-back game-winning drives. But let's be honest about why the Pittsburgh Steelers are in a position to not only have another winning season under Mike Tomlin, but could sneak into the playoffs. It's their defense. 
Mike Tomlin, this team was sitting at two and six, and they put the pressure on the defense to rise up. And this defense has really stood up. Last night against the Baltimore Ravens, we saw them employ some six-man defensive lines to stop the running game. They've always been a guy of a, a team that's been a collection of bad dudes that will hit you in the mouth and bring the physicality to the table. But now what they have is some talented corners on the outside. They still have the physicality, being able to control it at the line of scrimmage. Linebackers are being able to make plays. But more importantly, they still live up to the mystique that has always been associated with the Steelers when it comes to their defense. So, yes, if we think about a team that is building towards the future, they have an experienced defense that will give them a chance for those young guys to grow up on offense. Yeah, this team is one that we'll talk about. It has taken not as long as we thought it would take for the Pittsburgh Steelers to usher in a rebuild, but they're going to be back and they're going to be a major factor next year going forward. I'll flip it over to the other side with the Baltimore Ravens. And we've talked about the big three in the AFC all season long, right? We've talked about Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. Those are the teams that have just kind of been a cut above everybody else. And it feels like, man, you don't want to, you know, you're going to have to run through those teams. Nobody wants to play them. What if you flip it around now and you look at those three teams, do you really think that they want to welcome in the Baltimore Ravens into the postseason as a six seed to go play the three seed. And this is a team that all of a sudden is going to get Lamar Jackson back, you would think, going to be rested and, and finally healthy and ready to go. We've been playing without him. You get Lamar Jackson back. This defense has played really, really well. Um, you see the numbers on the screen there, 13 points a game since week nine. It's the best in the league. Roquan Smith has made a big-time difference. And they're not scared of any of these environments. They go to Cincinnati every year. They don't care about that. Kansas City, Buffalo, I, I think John Harbaugh has that team ready to go. This is a team, in my opinion, uh, Buck, I see them kind of laying in the weeds. Nobody's going to be talking about or thinking about them. But I don't think any of those teams up top, that three seed is going to want to see the Baltimore Ravens. No, you don't want to see the Baltimore Ravens, particularly if Lamar Jackson comes back. But I think that's the X factor. Oh, yeah. Is Lamar Jackson coming back? Because he is so vital to their running game and what he adds. And a fresh and healthy and rejuvenated Lamar Jackson certainly adds some spice to their run attack. The defense, by all accounts, is certainly playing well. But they need Lamar Jackson to give them that big play factor in the running game. Uh, Rhett, you want to get in on that? You, I mean, you think this is a team... I look at them as a team I think could go on the road. I think they're kind of built. If Lamar Jackson's out there, defense, run game, what's the table? You, you, you don't think they could go on the road and beat one of those top three teams? Not if Lamar Jackson's not available. I mean, I, I, oh, we got to see. Uh, that's the whole <laughs> yeah. thing. But he's going to – he'll yeah. be back. He'll be back. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I hope. Uh, I think the Ravens hope. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you that if he's there – um, and if he's healthy and fully able to go and affect defenses the way that he can, both on the ground, uh, you know, and through the air, then yeah, absolutely. They're a, they're a force and you're not just going to count them out. Um, you know, if they got to go on the road in the first round, like, yeah, definitely. But Lamar Jackson's health is obviously a huge piece of that equation. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I'm not saying it without Lamar Jackson. I'm just saying they get him yeah. back and all of a sudden you reintroduce him into this offense, the defense playing the way they're playing and played good in this game as well. It's a dangerous yeah. team. That's all I'm getting at. Uh, all right, we're okay. going to take a break. We come back. We're going to look at the uh, the East, where we have two teams that have done a complete nosedive from where they were a little over a month ago. We'll dig into that right after this break. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, 
you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Man, if you were to five, six weeks ago and you were a fan of the Miami Dolphins or the New York Jets, you were feeling pretty good. Uh, you're looking at your team, one team, the Jets, playing unbelievable defense. One team in the Dolphins, the most explosive offense uh, that we had at that point in time. And uh, times have changed, uh, Buck. These teams have struggled. They both come off uh, losses again this week. The Patriots knock off the Dolphins 23-21. to We'll get to the Jets uh, getting destroyed by the Seahawks in a minute. But starting there with that Dolphins team, uh, biggest takeaway from their collapse here. Uh, the Dolphins need an identity. Uh, I think we've been kind of tricked and hoodwinked by Mike McDaniels and what we thought this Dolphins team was going to be when he came over. He was supposed to be the running game guru coming over from San Francisco. A lot of why he was a hot candidate is because of all the creative running stuff that the Niners did when he was in charge of the run game. Well, now I'm looking at a team that is very uh, quarterback-centric, very big play, um, I would say, they covered the big play. They're always hunting the big play. It's all Tyreek Hill and Jaden Waddle. And so what they are is a team that if they can't generate the big plays, they're left with nothing. And because they built the team around the big play in the passing game and their oft-injured quarterbacks are always in and out the lineup, they don't have a solid foundation. So for me, my, my question is, what is Mike McDaniel going to do in the offseason? Does he build this team around the running game so now they have the ability to play with whoever's at quarterback but still have the big play uh, dimension? Or are they going to continue to live and die by the quarterback play and be a team that we see have these ebbs and flows throughout the season where they win four and lose four, win four and lose five? Because that's the tale of the Dolphins' season. They don't have any consistency because they don't have a real identity. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think um, it, it is a bit of a departure from the expectation that we had when Mike McDaniel was hired in Miami. You're like, oh, man, Raheem Mostert coming over. They get Jeff Wilson in here, too. And it's like, oh, man, we're going to start. This is this is the 49ers East, right, in terms of the run game. Just hadn't quite been that way consistently throughout the season. They've had games where the run game is dominated. Um, but uh, just has not happened enough for them to feel like, all right, this is something we can rely on week in and week out, regardless of who's playing quarterback, which is, again, going to be a question next year for Miami. But I think what this game told us, as these two teams were fighting and still fighting for the number seven seed in that final wild card in the AFC, and, and if it is one of these two teams that ends up with it, um, I think at this point you're like, yeah, the number one seed technically only gets a bye week, but maybe it feels like the two seed does as well here because do you do you see the Dolphins or the Patriots or any other team here coming in as the number seven seed in the AFC beating a team named the Bengals, Bills, or Chiefs? No, right? I mean, that, yeah, that no, seems... I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Right. Yeah, I, I don't either. And, and and here's the other piece of it too, um, you know, for uh, for Miami and, and for the Patriots. Like, I, I give credit to the Patriots for slowing down, you know, Jalen Waddle and Tyree kill and not allowing them to ruin a game. Um, but, you know, I, I think the quarterback play also had something to do with that um, in terms of how the, the dolphins were forced to attack and then how the Patriots were able to attack without two in there. So I am not terrifically confident. I don't think anybody's scared of what the Patriots can attack you with on offense defensively. I think, you know, they could cause some problems, but, not enough on offense, I think, to sustain anything in the postseason. Yeah, you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth because I think the defense, it, it is kind of a shame for this defense. The defense is really good. And this was kind yeah. of a game that, that displayed what they're about defensively because you look at it and you look at them limiting explosive plays. 
Longest run was 11 yards in this game for the Miami Dolphins. The longest completion, they had a few of them over 20 yards, but nothing over 25 yards for an offense with all that speed on the outside. They keep the ball in front of them. They get two sacks. They get two interceptions. So they turn you over. They get to you just enough, and they don't give up big plays. It's a formula that works on the defensive side of the ball. Unfortunately for them, you know, Buck, when you look at the Patriots, I just don't think their offense in the AFC with the quarterbacks they're going to play against um, I, I just don't see them being able to keep up. Yeah, the formula to, to win at a high level in the tournament, you need to have exceptional quarterback play, and you need to be able to rush the pass and create disruptive plays on defense. Well, they get the disruptive plays on defense, but Mac Jones playing in a tournament that features some of the best quarterbacks that you can find, particularly on the AFC, it's going to be tough. And unless there's a, a, a makeover that happens between week 18 and the playoff tournament, I don't know how they're going to get it done. I like what Bill Belichick can do to keep the game close. I just don't think Mac Jones and Matt Patricia are good enough as a quarterback play caller combination to be able to really usher in one of these upsets. Yeah, well, it's, uh, again, the Patriots, it looked like they've got a a shot here. The Miami Dolphins, the way they're playing, it's hard to have much confidence in in what they're doing. It's just kind of falling apart for them. Another team that's falling apart for in that division is the Jets. Uh, they have completely collapsed, and uh, lots of takeaways on this one. They lose 23-0 to in a game that really wasn't competitive at all with the Seattle Seahawks. Rhett, uh, biggest takeaway yeah. on this one? Um, for Mike White, please see commentary at top of show on Gardner Minshew. Um, I, <laughs> I just, uh, I mean, and, and with all due respect, like the dude comes in and is a more than serviceable QB2. But that's what he is right now. And, and I, I think that, yeah, could some pieces have been a bit better around him? But this, and is he probably not a 100% with the rib injury? Sure. I think there's all that. But here's the other part of this that makes it different than Gardner Minshew. Mike White cannot be QB2 in New York next season. Cannot be, especially if Ian Rappaport's report is right and Joe Douglas isn't, isn't going to shop Zach Wilson and they think that Zach Wilson still has a future on that team. There's no way that Mike White can coexist on that roster. It's just there's too much around all of that back and forth that those two guys with Wilson and White have had in and out of the lineup at quarterback this year. For Zach to be able to rehabilitate his confidence, Mike White's got to be playing somewhere else and they got to go find another backup, which is a shame because he's a dang good backup quarterback. And I'd love to have him on my team, but not if I'm putting my eggs in the Zach Wilson basket in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I know they've given lip service and they've said that they are, you know, they're committed to Zach Wilson it fe- it doesn't feel that way with the way the team is kind of you know falling out of love with their quarterback I mean it if the head yeah. coach has moved him all around you've you in and out he's in and out the team work the whole thing it just feels like they're out of the Zach Wilson business just from the outside looking in um at how they've reacted to him but I made the analogy earlier um when I talked about Zach Wilson about how I thought he was a home run hitter right he's gonna go one for five but he might hit a three-run home run. He's going to give you some chunk plays. You're not going to have a real efficient player. You're not going to have somebody who's completing 70% of his passes. But if you can design the offense around him, he's going to be able to get play action, run the ball. He's going to get a couple shots. He'll have some big plays. Mike White is like the exact opposite. You, you, look, at the, you look at the box score at the end of the baseball game, you're like, dude, you have three hits. That's awesome. Yeah, three singles because he doesn't have enough arm or enough juice. What, not, not just talking about big plays over the top, but when you get down in the red area, you know, Buck, when you get down in the red zone, those windows shrink. You move the ball up and down the field, and now the field gets tight, and all of a sudden the little flare swings that you're throwing, the little layups that we bang on Zach Wilson for not being able to hit, those don't do you any good when you get down there in the red zone. That's why they don't score many points. 
You know, for as much as everybody loves Mike White and talk about the yards and the completions, they don't score points. Um, and they look, they weren't scoring points to Zach Wilson either. They, they, I don't know that their quarterback's on the roster right now for next year. I, I really don't. Well, even in spite of that, before you throw away the quarterback, you know, because everyone says that we have a love affair with the draft picks because that's what we do. We live in that business. But before you throw away the quarterback, you have to exhaust all the options in terms of building him up. Did you support him with an A-plus offensive line? Does he have enough weapons on the outside to do what he needs to do in the pass game? Is the scheme the right fit for Zach Wilson and what he does? And, DJ, when I'm listening to you and I'm hearing, hey, maybe they need to run the ball, throw play action, and do those things, I can't confidently say that when I look at a Jets game that their offense looks anything like what I've seen from, look, the San Francisco 49ers, even the Cleveland Browns at times when you're running the football and throwing it deep. If your quarterback is a deep ball thrower, then you have to set him up to have opportunities to push the ball down the field. I don't feel like this offense fits what he does. And so I believe Robert Sala, before you even can make a decision on Zach Wilson, you got to look at the scheme and say, is the scheme is the scheme elevating what they possibly could do on offense. And I don't think they do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with you. Rhett was left speechless. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he's in agreement with us oh, uh, on that. Sorry. One. I didn't, uh, know. Right, well, <laughs> I didn't know you're waiting on me there. Yeah. yeah I was, I you want to chime in, get a little, little, Rhett, yeah. little extra Rhett, a little sprinkle, a little extra Rhett in that. Well, we'll, we'll save Rhett for the next one because uh, he's got ball, a little insight we? on this next segment. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, talk about those college football semifinals. Rhett was at one of them, both incredible games. We've got lots of takeaways. We'll get to those right after this break. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, let's jump into these college football semifinal games, uh, which were bonkers. We've had so many years since this college football playoff kicked off where these semifinal games were blowouts. They weren't entertaining. Everybody complained about them. Uh, To having two barn burner, unbelievable games, Rhett. I know you were at one of them. Uh, What was the atmosphere like there for that big Fiesta Bowl matchup between Michigan and TCU? And what was your biggest takeaway? Incredible. Like the atmosphere was incredible. And I'm, I'm not like trying to be hyperbolic here. Like that was in a, in unreal atmosphere inside state farm stadium uh, in Glendale, Arizona, home of super bowl 57. Uh, By the way, I, you know, I've been inside that stadium for a number of games. I'd never heard it like that. And then to also think that, you only had half the stadium full of one team's fans. And it was like as loud as you would imagine it being if the whole team, the whole stadium was full uh, of just, you know, Cardinals fans or just TCU. Like that was incredible. Both of those teams, fan bases travel. That thing was sold out. It was every seat was filled. Um, it was it was a beautiful atmosphere. And then the game was just wild. Right. I mean, like I'm hand all the way up uh, as one of the guys who is like Donovan Edwards breaks off the 54 yard run on the first play from scrimmage on a perfectly executed, uh, perfectly blocked up play for Michigan in that dominant offensive line. And I was like, oh, boy, it's going to be a long day for TCU. Well, it turns out that couldn't have been further from the truth. Right. And I think we blame some of that on Michigan's play calling inside the five inside the red zone. There's no way in a game like this. That one, you can throw two pick sixes, which J.J. McCarthy did. And two, you can come, you can go three times inside the five and come away with three points total. Like, 
that's not winning football. And you do that to yourself. Right. So, um, yeah, Roman Wilson probably scored uh, on that deep ball touchdown, but don't fumble the ball on the one yard line. <laughs> Just don't do it. Uh, you yeah. know, it's basic football. A couple of takeaways from that game, and a lot of them come on the TCU side, not surprisingly, with the way that their defense played. Uh, guys that I'm going back to look uh, and watch a lot more of, D. Winters, a linebacker, Dylan Horton, the edge rusher, Johnny Hodges, the linebacker, LT's nephew, Travius Hodges Tomlinson. Dude, it's, it's an overused phrase, but the kid's got some dog in him. Like, that dude was all over the field. He's got a little bit of an awareness thing to work out with some of those PI penalties. But he is a physical dude. I think he'll be a really good slot corner uh, in this league. And then there's a couple of their their other secondary players. Bud Clark, uh, Miller Branford was all over the field. Like, those dudes were ready for this game. And when I tell you Johnny Hodges transferred from Navy into TCU, TCU was his only offer out of the transfer portal of the Power Five, right? He played lacrosse at Navy and then ended up walking on as a linebacker, got the scholarship uh, to TCU. He was I was there on media day on Thursday. He would not, he talked like this. He was just like, when I was asking him about Michigan, like he could, couldn't even, he was gritting his teeth the whole time. He was like tired of hearing about Michigan and the offensive line, the physicality. I'm like, this dude's ready to play now. And it's clear that yeah. TCU was the more ready to play team in this game. And they showed it. The other thing that I think is really interesting about that game um, and about TCU's demeanor, like there were times where Michigan was making a run. And you were like, oh, all right, Michigan's back. They scored a couple of times in a row. But every time TCU had an answer, they would come back and they'd stem the tide. I mean, and that's impressive in a scenario like that to me. So I was just I came away fully impressed with TCU. Yeah, I was really impressed by TCU's effort. um, Their speed stood out when you watched the game. Uh, They ran away from the Michigan defenders. I felt like the way that Max Duggan played, he did a really good job taking advantage of some of the opportunities that were created. But I'm going to be honest. I feel like this was more of a game of Michigan losing than TCU winning. And that's not being disrespectful to the Horned Frogs because they took advantage of the opportunities that were there for them. But when you think about winning big games, the number one thing that you have to do is avoid the DBOs, meaning turnovers, big plays allowed, penalties, and kicking game errors. And when I watched that game from Michigan, I saw them just implode in several of those areas. Uh, The turnovers, you can't have two pick sixes. You can't fumble the ball in the red zone. Uh, You can't allow, if you're going to blitz, you can't allow guys to catch shallow crosses and go 76 yards after big plays. And so to me, it was all of that stuff happening on a major stage. And I don't want to say the game was too big for Michigan, but I felt like at a, at, at, at a big moment, they picked the worst time to play their worst game. And it's, it's unfortunate that they didn't stay true to their identity. But hats off to TCU because now they're rewarded with the game against Georgia. And I think the Bulldogs will have their antennas up. And so we'll get a true test for how good TCU can play on that major stage. Well, you know, in sports, you can uh, you announce a retirement. Then they have the ceremony where they you, know, you get out there. They raise the jersey up into the rafters. That's what we're doing for Philly Special. Okay, Philly Special, you had a great so, run. Uh, we're going to celebrate way. you. We're going to take the play sheet, and we're going we're gonna to send that play sheet right up to the top of the stadium and put it up there. Stop. You're Michigan. You're the more physical team. You've got the best offensive line in the country two years in a row. Why are you trying this stuff in that situation? You got outside of who you were. And I, I'm look, I'm, I give TCU credit. There's grit. There is toughness. There is speed, uh, absolutely, that they possess. 
But, man, Michigan moved the ball up and down the field at ease. And, we, and Rhett's talking about their defense. They gave up 45 mm-hmm. points. Michigan should have yeah. scored 65 points in this game. Uh, they moved yeah. it up and down the field. They couldn't cash it in. You turn it over. You think about the point swings on pick sixes. The way Michigan was moving the ball, you assume they'd probably go down and score. Now, that's like 28 points a difference in this game. It could have been a Michigan blowout, which I think a lot of people anticipated we were going to see. But self-inflicted wounds, uh, to Bucky's point. I was talking to Brandon Staley, the Chargers head coach, uh, yesterday before the game against the Rams. <laughs> we were talking about these playoff games. And I said, Coach, how would you like to be a defensive coordinator in college football right now? I mean, th- those games are track meets. You know, with the hash yeah. marks and the speed and the space. And he goes, yeah, there's no competition committee in college. They, they don't care about uh, the defensive rights here. This is offensive football. So go out, recruit as many uh, offensive athletes as you can get. And then play defense, like you know, Bucky, you're kind of saying you got to take some some risk. You've got to get some turnovers because you're not stopping these offenses. That was on display and in, in the semifinals. And, and perfectly describes describes Ohio State too, right? Yeah, no, you oh, get, you get mean, right like, to that game. Like this, Buck, jump on yeah. that one. That was a wild game, Ohio State and Georgia. Yeah, wild game. But I'll say this because we had a vested interest. Obviously, C.J. Stroud yeah. playing in it. We're gonna talk about him a lot on the path to the draft. It is to me the best game that I've seen him play in a big moment. I feel like he was in his bag. I feel like that was the moment that if you're a scout that likes him, that's the first tape you're going to put on and sell uh, C.J. Stroud to the GM. What he could do, size, athleticism, arm talent. He ran more than we've ever seen him run during his time at Ohio State, and it added a dimension to their offense. But let's be honest, the game changed when Marvin Harrison Jr. goes out the game. And when he goes out the game, they lose one of their – they're down two big-time wide receivers. And we can talk about the job that Brian Hartline does with their receivers and how they just have been a factory producing them. But now you're without two of your top guys because Marvin Harrison Jr. was the main guy for the moment, and he was already having a big game. And so it is one of those games where we saw all of the talent, all of the, I guess, fireworks that you wanted to see because it was a very entertaining game. But C.J. Stroud certainly made a case to be one of the top quarterbacks that we talk about in this draft class if he comes out. Yeah, I really, I mean, again, I think this game, you know, it, I think this game is completely different um, for Ohio State, even though they they were right there, obviously, the entire way led this game. Mm-hmm. But think about if Jackson Smith and Jigba is available. Think about if Travion Henderson is available for them at running back. Yeah. And by the way, that, you know, that running back room has been, uh, you know, decimated by injury this year. And Chip Trainum running the football converted linebacker uh, for much of the season. So uh, or much of the last part of this season. I just I feel really good about where Ohio State is. And I know the sky feels like it's falling for them after losing to Michigan two years in a row and, you know, not finding their way into a national title game here. But I think Ryan Day uh, has that program exactly where they should be, exactly where they're going to be a contender each and every year. And by the way, they got the top two receivers in the country that committed to them uh, in this last recruiting cycle. So it's not like there's going to be some huge <laughs> drop off like they, it's going to be status quo there. Um, but for Georgia, um, you know, I would be a little concerned at the way things are going. Keely Ringo um, in that secondary got beat up in this game. And don't talking about maybe wide receiver one in this draft and Quentin Johnson coming in here in the uh, national title game. Yeah. So I, if I'm Georgia's secondary, I got a lot of work to do here in the next eight days, seven days. Yeah. And some people brought up a couple points that I've talked to, too. Look, Georgia didn't see many good offenses this year. So maybe we overrated this defense a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's not the group they had last year after all those guys that they mm-hmm. lost. I thought I, I agree with Buck, too. This was the signature C.J. Stroud game. I just uh, was working on quarterbacks over the last week and, and went and watched a bunch of his tape this year. I actually still liked him better this year than I did last year. I know some people kind of thought, oh, maybe is you know, 
plateaued? Has he dropped off at all? I thought he played great uh, this year. I thought he's using his legs more. I thought he's got more zip. I thought he's driving the ball better than he did last year. My only concern was, can this guy beat a free rusher? Can this guy create? Uh, we talk about that all the time. That's what you have to do. Can you get those seven yards the defense is going to give you? And he did it. Uh, he did it with his legs in this game. He extended plays, moved around within the pocket. I thought that was outstanding. It was a great game for C.J. Stroud. Um, but for those that, you know, we're going to have that debate, Stroud versus Bryce Young. Uh, Will is going to get involved in that discussion as well. The only thing I would remind you is, you know, C.J. did great. But I, I also saw Bryce Young last year in the SEC championship game when he had Mechie and he had Jamison Williams, he had his receivers healthy against the Georgia defense. That defense plus six guys that they lost that went high in the draft last year, and Bryce Young put 400-plus on them uh, and dominated against that defense. So Bryce has got those big moments too. We didn't talk about his bowl game. He went off again the other day as well, Rhett. He threw five touchdowns to like five different receivers. (laughs) <laughs> so it's funny because we're going to have this debate and we're going to have it look I can't imagine once a week twice a week on Path to the Draft we're going to talk about the quarterback once, once twice a show and to me <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> uh, to, to me when it comes down to CJ Stroud and Bryce Young it's going to come down to prospect versus performer meaning the prospect and CJ Stroud that checks off all the boxes physically arm talent athleticism versus the performer and Bryce Young where you can just pull out any game tape, and in several key moments, Bryce Young looks like the best player on the field. It's going to be a fascinating discussion. And I know people will throw Will Levis in there, but to me, that is going to be the debate. Prospect versus performer, who do you want to be the number one overall pick? And in spite of like the size thing that is going to drive you crazy with Bryce Young, man, the player, the player is everything that you want at the quarterback position. It is going to be a nightmare to have some of those conversations in draft rooms around the league. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. I mean, there's already, there are discussions, you know, about how do you view the fact that Bryce Young couldn't really throw and practice, you know, for over a month because of his shoulder. Some people look at that and say, oh, you see, durability-wise, he's not going to be able to hold up in the NFL. He's too little. It's already kind of, he's already a little bit beat up. Other people be like, look at the toughness. This guy couldn't even practice during the week. He just showed up in the games and still made plays and had his team ready to go. So, you're going to hear a million different opinions on this stuff, and uh, it's going to be a fun debate as we head towards the spring. Uh, I want to wish all you guys a happy new year. Uh, this has been a fun show. Hope everybody has enjoyed uh, hanging with us. Uh, we'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Reminder, uh, all of our content, NFL's YouTube channel, NFL.com, uh, and the NFL app. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Happy New Year, everybody. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.